Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. We are talking about uh, Passion Week, which is next week, and there are so many events in Passion Week that you can pick from really Kind of the end of the Gospels themselves, I mean, take up the majority of Passion Week, isn't it? Well, if you look at the Gospel of John, you start that week in chapter 12, you know, and 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 so more than half of the uh, Gospel of John is devoted to the last week of Christ. Yeah. The traditional term that's used for the events leading up to the cross is uh, the Passion. Uh, I remember a few years ago... uh, The Passion of the Christ. The movie, The Passion of the Christ. Okay. Um, any any New Testament scholar will tell you that all four Gospels are really extended passion narratives. Mm-hmm. The, the cross is the center of of each Gospel writer's telling of the story of Jesus is all about how and why did Jesus end up on a cross. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the whole thing. I don't I don't mean to leave out the resurrection, of course, but. Um, that, that's why all, all four gospel writers devote so much ink to these last events leading up to the cross, because that's the main thing they want to convey to us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is who, who is this guy, Jesus, and why did he end up on a cross? Mm -hmm. And this passage today, um, shows it in a wonderful way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're looking at the triumphal entry. Um, this is from John 12. And uh, just read a few verses here. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that we are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. There's some really, you know, one of the things that we find is that this account is in all four Gospels. So what we read here was probably the shortest of the accounts Mm -hmm. of of the triumph, what we call the triumphal entry, and it 
comes on a Sunday. It takes place on a Sunday. Uh, the, we'd seen uh, yesterday that um, on Friday of that, the previous Friday, he'd spent time with uh, Simon the leper. They have feast in his house and then probably spent a quiet Sabbath in Bethany. Now he's come uh, to Jerusalem and he's entering into Jerusalem and he's doing it... Uh, He's actually gathered the crowd, you might say. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only does he uh, send for this donkey, um, from, you know, th- uh, that he's going to ride, but he's actually gathered the crowd. They're the they're the crowd. Uh, they've already they're the crowd coming from Bethany. Essentially, they they're following him because this is the place where Lazarus had lived, and they'd been w- uh, with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. They're the beginning of this crowd. Mm-hmm. That is um, there. So he's he's got a crowd already. I say that to bring out the fact that he's in control of this whole situation. Absolutely. He's in control of the situation. If you understand that he actually sends his disciples to get this young colt that's never been ridden, which um, historically figures in to, you know, something set aside for a king um, is, you know, it's a mount that nobody else rides. Uh, the fact that is this young cult and goes back to Genesis goes all the way back to Genesis 49. If I can find the place here, where where would oh Genesis 49:10? You know the disciples are to untie this donkey. In fact, um, you know in, in various gospel accounts, it's mentioned over and over again: untie, 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 untie. But in Genesis 49.10, there's this prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah from the tribe of Judah, the one to whom belongs the scepter or the right to rule, to the one who belongs the obedience of the nation. And it says that he's going to tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. And so he's fulfilling all of Scripture in doing this. He, not only does he gather the crowd, does he get the donkey, but he's actually fulfilling Scripture in coming in this manner. Yeah, it's it's a very carefully planned event mm-hmm. and very carefully planned b- by Jesus. And now th- things like you know incidental things like Jesus and now this is not recorded in John's gospel uh that Josh read a moment ago, but the other gospels re- record that Jesus sent ahead his disciples as you were saying Jonathan to to fetch the colt, and and if then Jesus said, if they ask, what are you doing? You'd tell them the master has need of it, or the Lord has need of it. The Lord, the Lord has need of it, and they, they'll they'll give it to you. Now, there's a couple of ways you could look at that. Perhaps that's miraculous, and uh, Jesus is perfectly capable of the supernatural. Uh, but it may also be that this is a sign and countersign. Uh, common in any underground movement, that uh, Jesus has planned in advance that this cult is going to be ready. But whichever way, um, but th- but he's actually telling the original owners that the master has need of it. So he he's in in one sense he's they're recognizing he has a sovereign right over everything he has. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The main thing I want to emphasize is Jesus deliberately plans this event. It was not spontaneous. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus is doing, he's very deliberately provoking a confrontation 
with the religious authorities of Jerusalem. Yeah. And, and it's not like they're not out to get him. But they, they're trying right. to do it on their own timetable because they know that with all the people gathered in Jerusalem for this Passover week, and those crowds that were saying Hosanna were crowds that have, were coming to Passover. They've heard of his miracles. They've heard of all these things. And the, and the word is, is that he's coming. And when he comes in the manner that he does, they begin, you know, yeah. we're, we're told that they take palm branches yeah. and throw them before him. This, and they, this looks like worship is what it looks like. Right. Je- Jesus is actually the only one in the story who knows what's going on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they throw the palm branches down. They even say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They're willing to call him king. Mm-hmm. But if you just look down a few verses, it says the reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard he had done the sign, namely that he raised Lazarus. Yes. Which mm-hmm. makes us reflect back on John 6. Jesus says, you came to me, not, not because you came to see me, but because you were fed. They wanted to make him king. They wanted to make him a political king. In other words, they didn't want a savior from their sins. They wanted a savior from Rome. Absolutely. Well, and the the word Hosanna means save us, Mm -hmm. deliver us. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about deliverance from the oppression of Rome. Mm -hmm. And the palm branches are a very significant symbol. When they're waving palm branches, um, that, that is packed with symbolism for first century Jewish people. The palm branch, and by the way, John's gospel is the only one of the four gospels that specifically says mm-hmm. they were palm branches. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, the palm branch was the symbol of the Maccabean revolt uh, two centuries earlier uh, under a man named Jude, Jude, one of the great heroes of the Jews, right down to this day, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly at that time, one of their great heroes from their history was Judas Maccabeus. He lived about 200 years before Christ. He uh, led a revolt against the Hasmonean uh, Empire that at that time was oppressing uh, Israel. And uh, yeah, for, a, for a brief time, uh, the city of Jerusalem was liberated under Judas Maccabeus and, and um, temple worship reinstituted. Um, so he, and anyway, the palm branches were a symbol of the Maccabean revolt. So when these people are waving palm branches, it's not just because they grabbed something arbitrary to wave around. It's a political symbol yeah. for them. Yeah. It's like right. the Marxist fist in the air, uh, yeah. in terms but of if a political symbol. Well, you know, you know, uh, or, or let's say, uh, let's say if, if America, if America had been uh, conquered by a foreign power, and uh, somebody was come, some hero was coming to liberate us, and suddenly in a crowd you saw people pulling little American flags out of their back pocket yeah. and waving them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what these people are doing. And the, here's the thing: these people, if Jesus would have would have said, "Let's go get Rome." All of Jerusalem would have gone. Oh, with him. absolutely! And, and 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 maybe he at least could have had some success in throwing <laughs> over the Roman Empire. But Jesus said, "No, I came to save you from a far greater enemy. Rome but, is you know, not your main enemy." Yeah. But they but they did recognize um, something in Scripture because, as John is quoting here, he's quoting Zech. He's quoting Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The following verse um, 
talks a little bit more about Jesus' messianic reign. You know, the, the uh, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace among the nations. So, in one sense, they're they're getting his his first and second coming, um, you know, confused because the Old Testament actually oftentimes joins these things together. Mm-hmm. So they don't recognize they don't recognize the fact that he's coming to redeem them from but sin. Man, but many of these crowd, I agree, and, and many of these crowd, though, didn't think they needed to be redeemed. <laughs> no, uh, no. Right. And, and that's the problem. I mean, well, I think that, you know, um, Paul Washer criticizes the type of gospel preaching that, that often happens today. He says, I hate the, the, the preaching that goes something like this. Quote, you know, you got a wonderful life there, yuppie. You really got a nice house, a really nice job, a really beautiful wife. You got 1.25 children. You got three cars. You have a great job. You have a great life. Everything fits perfectly in place. You just lack one thing. You lack Jesus. And he says, that's the most disgusting thing that you could ever say. Yes. It's like what these people need. Hey, Jews, you have a pretty good life, uh, but you lack just one thing. You, you need Jesus to be your king. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this whole thing is is shattered like a glass you know, falling on the ground, Jesus is saying, no, you're totally missing it. Your mm-hmm. greatest enemy that you have is sin, and, and I am going to be king by defeating well, that. I, you know, and I, I'll agree with you there, but I think that oftentimes people make the mistake of saying they were saying Hosanna on one day, and later they're saying crucify him, crucify him. It's not the same crowd. That's this right. is the crowd that This is the crowd that has seen his miracles that are many of them are following him. You know, his disciples are the first ones to lay their coats out and that, and that they're following him. Now, they may not know everything that's to be known, but, but they're recognizing a king and he is both lion and lamb. And this is the part that they don't recognize. He's gentle and lowly, but he is the king. Amen. Well, we will see you next time. 